Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. Yeah. So, um, this is for Sarah. Correct. Uh, so, there was this uh, priest and a rabbi and a preacher who walk into a bar. And the bartender looks up at them. And he's like, what is this? A joke? <laughs> <laughs> so, mine, I, I'm, I'm racking my brains for... The worst joke I can think of, but uh, I'll, I'll follow suit with you. So a horse walks into a bar and the bartender says, why the long face? Mm, that's good. That's good. I have a um, cousin-in-law who happens to have a longer face. And so... Wait, her, you're from Arkansas. What yeah, yeah. other relations is cousin-in-law? Well, it's my wife's cousin. Right. Okay. So also brother? No, no, no. No? Okay. But uh, her sister's husband always says, hey, Brooke, why the long face? And then she just gets mad. I'm like, you know, so it's good. (laughs) That's kind of mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. They they have a, a, a very, you know, they go at each other quite a bit. So, you know, this is a good reason for all my family to, back in Arkansas to listen to the podcast because you never know when you're going to end up on, on the podcast. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to start off on the fifth and final doctrine of sovereign grace, mm-hmm. sometimes called the perseverance of the saints. Right. Um, R.C. Sproul calls it the, he doesn't say protection, the uh, what does he he renames it something, but basically puts the emphasis on God keeping the saints, not the saints overcoming, but on God's preservation of the saints. That's what he calls it, okay. preservation yeah. of the saints. So he puts the emphasis on God's activity rather than um, the saints themselves, um, which I think I tend to agree with because you know, our, even though we've been changed, it's that change in God's activity in our lives that keep us grounded in him. Yeah. Uh, I kind of tend to view it. Um, oh, I think it might be, I think Paul cites it in Acts where he says, he cites the poet who says in him, we live and move and have our being. And there's other places where it talks about Christ being the one in whom all things consist or mm-hmm. who holds all things together. And so, I tend to draw a parallel there to our preservation being um, not only a nature change that scripture clearly talks about, but also a sustaining power that Christ works for his children to maintain who they are in the Mm -hmm. same way, or at least in a similar way to how he is currently maintaining um, the universe. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> and so when we talk about this doctrine, we're, I would kind of put us in the middle of two extremes. Um, one of those extremes uh, that I guess I had known went by this name, but I'd always use these names synonymously. But way back when, I don't know if you remember when we were first starting to do this podcast, I talked about once saved, always saved. Right. And you're like, well, and technically that's not the same as perseverance of the saints. Um, and so I, I would now that we've defined that term at least amongst ourselves and we'll define it for the podcasters 
Um, I would say that perseverance of the saints or preservation of the saints um, would, would be in the middle of once saved, always saved on one end. And then the folks who believe you can apostatize or lose your salvation on the other end. And frequently, <clears throat> I think we catch arguments from both sides. Wrong arguments, I think, from both sides. I mean, clearly we're right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, you want to talk a little bit about once saved, always saved? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, this is potentially confusing because eternal security or perseverance slash preservation of the saints sounds very similar, at least superficially, to once saved, always saved. Um, I remember discussing this with my father several times over the past few years, and he would articulate, or he would actually say the words, once saved, always saved, mm -hmm. and then would articulate perseverance of the saints. Which is probably, I think, what people in my circles growing up did. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, it wasn't until a few years ago for me that somebody educated me to the fact that, well, that's fine, but these are actually technical terms. And so if you're going to kind of get into academic theology, they actually mean different things. And what, what a lay person might mean by once saved, always saved, whatever. But when you get into, say, seminary journals and theological journals and papers and things like that, it has a particular meaning, right? right. Kind of like propitiation is thrown around a lot mm -hmm. and kind of used in different ways. But theologically, it has a definition that, that is kind of circumscribed. This is what it means, regardless of how it may be used. Right. And I would, so another example, which you may or may not be aware of, is if you say the word is infallible, the text is infallible. Mm -hmm. So lots of people will say, oh, I believe that it's infallible, or they'll say inerrant and infallible which is fine, but infallible is actually a slightly less rigorous definition than inerrant. Mm -hmm. um, infallible means that it cannot fail in the things that it's meant to speak to, but uh, it's not necessarily supposed to be a science or a history or a whatever. So it's only infallible in the spiritual things that it speaks to. Um, and some have observed, well, then all the ways that you could, you could test it to see if it's true You've just negated all of those. But anyways, not to get us on a sidetrack. The same I thought infallible was that it could not lead into error. But inerrant means that it does not contain error. Yeah, so inerrant in like te technical is there is no error in it. Right. Infallible means it cannot fail in the things that it means to speak to. So it's again one of those probably like once saved, always saved where folks will say infallible because in our normal everyday language, we just mean, oh, it cannot fail. I hold to that. But like the technical term infallible is actually slightly less rigorous than inerrant. But yeah. so you want to tell us what yeah. once saved, always saved actually is? Right. So let me give, I gave the back, <laughs> background. Let me actually get to it. So once saved, always saved is the theological concept that... It, it's kind of like the punch your ticket, get your get out of hell free card, fire insurance. Um, the idea is, and there is some debate or at least some differences in opinion on what constitutes getting in 
to God's kingdom. Um, some people make it as simple as just kind of any mental ascent toward God or toward the gospel. Um, you know, others would say if you've said the sinner's prayer, if you've walked an aisle or, or done anything like that, um, it's kind of an easy believism on the salvation part. And then once that's done, once that box is checked, you can go live however you want to live and you cannot lose your salvation no matter what you do. And again, there are some very strong similarities between that and eternal security, but eternal security or perseverance of the saints on the other hand says, no, God actually changes his children at the time of salvation. Second Corinthians five seventeen, they become new creatures. I actually like creation there better because creature, while not necessarily wrong, I, I think saying we're a new creation expresses it and and at least the way that's used in our current vernacular. Right. I think that shows how strong of a disjunction there is between what was and what is. Um, so God changes our nature. Um, we are brought out of the kingdom of Satan and sin and darkness and into the kingdom of Christ and light and holiness. And because of that, uh, we are given eternal life. We are adopted into God's family. We are given a love for God and the things of God. The spirit comes to indwell us. And there's this whole new set of circumstances, even to the point of kind of who we are ontologically that has shifted and changed and God will then for those continue them and persevere and preserve them in that state such that their lives will reflect that. Right. And so the main, um, where the tracks actually diverge, right? So, so there's some similarities and you can say some stuff that's similar, but where the tracks diverge is you look at somebody who, walked the aisle as a 10-year-old, now they're 30 years old, living in flagrant disregard for God's word. They haven't darkened the door of a church in years. They have no regard for God. There is no fear of the Lord before their eyes. I mean, from all external markers, they look exactly like the world and an unbeliever. Once saved, always saved would say, aha, but they said that prayer, Mm -hmm. so they're good. Eternal security would say, that person has gone out from us because he never was of us. Right. And so the the difference is um, eternal security takes seriously the call to good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, finishing with, we walk in the good works that God created beforehand for us to walk in. Or Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God, God forbid. forbid yeah. You know, um, may it never be. It, so... Um, on the one hand, the believer does not have to do anything to maintain their own salvation. On the other hand, if you don't have the evidence of being a child of God, I mean, gosh, we're teaching through First John. There's so many. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is what a child of God looks like. This is what a child of the devil looks like. If you don't look like a child of God, you don't start acting like one so that you earn your salvation. Right. You go, oh. That's fruit that tells me what kind of tree I am. Right. And if you have the fruit of the devil, then you aren't a child of God. Yeah. And I think um, the once saved, always saved way of believing things 
when you really look at it, reduces down to a workspace salvation. Because what, what you're saying is you did this act. And by doing that act, um, God is obliged to give you justification or give you eternal life. Um, it's not, and I know they probably wouldn't, they would probably cringe by hearing that, but that's really what it is. Because if you contrast that with a perseverance of the saints doctrine, we're not saying that I did this act. You're saying I have faith and I have belief in God. Um, and that repentance, uh, from my old ways to my new ways says now I don't and repents used in more than one way. So I think that I don't know what the big, you know, there's a big hullaboo, whatever that word is. Hullabaloo. Yeah. Thank you. In Christendom now about, um, Lordship salvation and stuff. And I think it's like you're arguing two sides of the same coin, but, um, the, the initial repentance is more than just, Oh, now I'm turning from my sin. I won't sin anymore. It's like, I'm turning from my rebellious walking the other way. Don't want God in my life lifestyle to a life where I want to be his sheep. He, I want him to be my shepherd. He's going to be my master. I'm going to be his slave, although they may not use that. And I want to come underneath his Lordship. That doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. Hopefully, um, you're going to continue to progress. You know, I've been in the Lord 23 years now and I'm close to being perfect. (laughs) Would you like me to comment on that? No. Um, but, um, I still have some work to do. So yeah. Would you like Bill to comment on that? (laughs) So what, but what we are saying next time, special guest, Jill Mott, to come and correct the errors from this episode. Yes. Yeah. So what I am saying is we're not going to attain sinless perfection in this life. Agreed. Yeah. But there should be a big difference between, especially if you're older when you got saved, like I was, or if you're younger when you got saved. I know like um, Jill and Chris at our church, um, they were saved young. And so they've always had these doubts in mind. Am I really saved? Was that? But I'm like, look at your life. Your life is in stark contrast to that of the world. It's a different life. It may not have been a change, huge change because you weren't steeped in sin at six or seven, but your life that you live now is the life that is, you know, God is your, your Lord and you're, you're following him. And so it's a different life in the world. So I think those are evidences that, um, you're a believer. Right. All right. So should we look at some verses? Sure. Well, and I guess, I mean, if you, if you think about drawing maybe like a human, parable out of it if you've got somebody who is steeped in a particular evil lifestyle and somebody comes along uh, i don't know i mean and i'm just kind of making it up but let's say that you have two warring nations and one of the kings rescues somebody from the other nation and saves his life and he realizes that you know, say it's an orc, right? In, in Middle <laughs> Earth or something like that. And he comes and Gandalf saves him. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, good. I'm going to be on the right side. 
Well, he's got a lot of orcish history that's mm-hmm. going to just shape him. And in spite of trying to do well, I feel like this parable or what it's going off. Into no, it's good. I think maybe Smeagol and Gollum would be maybe a better than orc. Because Smeagol at least had, he started out as a hobbit or a hobbit-like. But yeah, I see what you're I saying. I don't know. Smeagol might be a good for First uh, John 5, <laughs> the sin unto death. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, the point is... Even if he's transformed and becomes a citizen of Gondor under Aragorn, right? Mm-hmm. You know that there's going to be stuff where his just natural inclinations that he's going to have to unlearn will cause yeah. him to do things that he shouldn't. But hopefully, or definitely, five years in, he's not going to be making the same mistakes. Right. Right. At least not to the same right. extent you know, it, it would be something where he progressively learns how to be a citizen of the new kingdom in ways that people that have been there since childhood just kind of take for granted. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's a progressive. Can we cut that part from the audio? <laughs> no, that, no, that's going in. Oh, that's good. Definitely going. Well, there you go, Sarah. That was for you. <laughs> um, uh, that was me being silly. So I would uh, just to echo that, I, I, at least in my own life, and I think and I've heard others um, say something similar to this is that the sins that God deals with, like right when you are become a believer are kind of like these action sins and you're start getting, you know, your actions and then you start getting maybe your mind and then you start getting your motivations. And then, then there's maybe like, Oh, this other action that you were doing all along that you, and it's like God's sanctification is progressive over time. Like he's slowly dealing at different parts, different times, um, through circumstances, through our spouses, through our children, through all the the stuff in our lives Mm to, uh, sanctify us. All right. Um, so, I actually taught this this morning in Sunday school. So this is I was taught this this morning. Yeah, yeah. So this was uh, the first one where my Sunday school lessons went faster than the the podcast because the podcast took took a while. But um, no, all of your lessons have actually gone faster than the podcast. <laughs> right. We just started six months ahead. That's of right. Time yeah, that's what podcast. I mean. Yeah. So my my <laughs> lessons finally caught up and surpassed the podcast. But uh, so we read this this morning, John ten twenty two through thirty. Very common um, verse uh, in dealing with this issue. Um, but above you can read verses one through 21, Jesus is talking about being a good shepherd and the difference between a shepherd and a thief and a hired hand and the true shepherd. Um, and then it boils down and it comes again at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. So I, I don't know. Is this like a, it seems odd that John would put this in or the, the, the context is so similar from above and below, but the the phrase at this time it's almost like he's saying it's a different setting i'm not sure um but it was in winter and jesus was walking in the temple temple in the portico of solomon the jews then gathered around him and were saying to him how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the christ tell us plainly jesus answered them i told you and you do not believe the works that i do in my father's name these testify of me but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep and uh you pointed out my last Sunday school class, which was good because I had failed to mention it, that um, it's not that they're not sheep because they don't believe. It's because it's, they don't believe because they're not his sheep. He goes on to say, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Um, and I don't know if it was... Now, wait a second there, good sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, so all my objection slides I have, uh, that as the title. But um, So I don't know if it was Kokel or James White that... I got this from, but it was from a podcast recently I was listening and they said that other theologians had called this the divine sandwich. That must've been Coco. You didn't hear it, Mm -hmm. but it was basically, you know, saying, you know, God's hand, Jesus hand, you're in the middle and you're not going to get out of that divine sandwich. If you are his sheep. Um, But wait, my free will. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that's not mentioned in that passage. I, I have heard objections to this. Where, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I've, I hadn't heard the divine sandwich before, but I've heard, you know, this is the father's hand and this is the son's hand. And if you're only listening to this, sorry, but you know, and nothing can get out of that. Right. And then you hear people going, no one can get into that to snatch out, but the person that's inside has the free will to exit to jump if out. they want. Right. And I'm like, okay, what, why are we trying to find a way where our own free will can condemn us to hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand what the motivation is there. That just doesn't make sense to me. I also don't think you can find it here exegetically. And you go to a whole bunch of other passages where it talks about eternal life. And if that can be lost, then it's not eternal. Yeah, which I also didn't, you know, so a Sunday school, you you got like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, so you're focused and you got to boil it down. So I also didn't mention the Hebrews passage that talks about like once you turn away, there's no coming back. Um, I, I'm not, I've heard different people explain that passage in a different way, but I, I am convinced out of this that if you were to be able to lose your salvation, your sin has now overcome the blood of Christ and Christ isn't dying a second time for you. So if you are able to lose your salvation, then I think you're forever not going to be saved. Um, obviously we don't believe you can lose your salvation. So that's a theoretical impossibility. Um, I was just going to reference, you're talking about jumping out of, uh, the hands of the father and the son, uh, John six, we won't read it all, but he says, you know, the father gives him and all that the father gives him, he will raise up on the last day. So he's not saying all that he that gives me, except for those who jump out of my hand or right. whatever, whatever else. Um, and then I've got a number of, so you already mentioned second Corinthians, um, five seventeen which basically references when we're saved, we become new creations. Um, Galatians 2.20. But notably, that's a one-way transformation. I cannot think of a single scripture that describes a child of God, a real child of God, who then is changed back into an old creation. Right, yeah. where, Where the heart of flesh is turned back into a heart of stone. Where new life is, yeah. I mean, it. And don't you do that because then I want to take out your heart of flesh and put your heart of stone back in. I mean, you, that, you don't just, see that? No. I, <laughs> uh, well, since, since, since you brought it up, I also referenced, you know, Jude, the whole book of Jude, it's not very long, 24, 26 verses, somewhere around there. Um, but it's all about apostates 
And um, he says these people were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. They were never um, believers. They they were always uh, not believers, and they were, you know, mixing it up with these Christians in their, you know, Lord's Supper and stuff, uh, which he refers to as their love feast. But um, they were like, you know, clouds without rain, trees without fruit, just a big foam because there was no actual substance there. Um, so yeah, there's never a deconversion described that I'm aware of, even in the book that deals with apostates. Well, and, and in that same book, he opens up the introduction. Here's, you know, to whom I'm writing to those who are called beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ kept. Yeah. And how does he end it? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I mean, as I think it was, it's been a while. I believe it was um, MacArthur preaching through Jude who said Jude is um, a letter for to talk about our eternal security so that people would be willing to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. Because if you could lose your salvation, then the natural thing to do is just cloister up, mm-hmm. right? And just say, Ooh, if, if this thing's at risk, then I'm going to build a wall, only let Christians inside and play it safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and instead he says, no, I want you to go contend for the faith. I want you to go out there because there are people like this, but Christ keeps you. Mm-hmm. So you're not in jeopardy if you are a son of God. If you have been actually converted, that is not in jeopardy. So go fight for the faith. That's good. I've never heard that. Um, I, I'll, I'll ponder that. I'm going to search it out to see if it's true, just like the Bereans. That's very Berean of you. <laughs> All right, so we talked about 2 Corinthians 5.17. Galatians 2.20 uh, says something similar. Um, you know, first, uh, 2 Corinthians kind of says it positively. You're, you're made new. Uh, Galatians says it kind of negatively. You've been crucified. Like your old self has been, been killed, and it's no longer you now living, but it's Christ living in you, and you live that, your life by faith. Um, Ephesians 1.13 through 14 we could really read all of Ephesians 1, like 3 through the end. Um, it's almost like Calvin was familiar with Ephesians 1. Well, it, you might think. Uh, <laughs> but in verse 13, it says, In him that's in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, have also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Um, and so I, I made the analogy of earnest money, like when you, you know, put a down payment down or something on a house, um, in the same way you wouldn't want to lose that earnest money that you give that money because like, you know, you're really sure you want that house. Um, and God gives us the Holy spirit as a earnest money or as a down payment or as a seal or a pledge of his promise that he's going to preserve us. And not to press that analogy too far, but I've never heard of a house opting out of a real estate purchase. It's true. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to press it too right. far because I don't think God is buying us from anybody else or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I don't believe in the ransom theory to Satan, but 
if the Holy Spirit is God's down payment on us as his property, and we are clearly spoken of Mm -hmm. as God's property, I think it's richer than just that, but the property doesn't get to go, nah, I mean, (laughs) that's just, it it goes back to like Romans 9. The clay doesn't go, nah. Right. Like, God is always shown as the one that is sovereignly enacting his will to the praise of his glorious grace. I mean, Paul says that a couple times in Ephesians 1. Um, If you think about it, at some point, it becomes just rank arrogance to think that we have the authority or the prerogative to make the decisions to lose our own salvation. Well, like, especially given you know what we've done to bring us up here, you know how dead we were, how alive He made us, how He called us out, how He sanctified us, you know, all of those things uh, atone for us. Is what I meant to say, and then to think we can just go, eh, meh, I'm done. Yeah, it, it, it seems odd. So, future podcast, uh, the ransom theory and how it relates to uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, with you know the the white the ice queen, Edmund's ransom from her by noted academic theologian C.S. Lewis. Yeah, there you go. I like C.S. Lewis. I, I mean, I enjoy his works and stuff, but I think sometimes he's treated as if he was a deep academic scholastic theologian. I think he was a smart guy, but I also think he was writing children's novels that shouldn't be pressed into too much service. They're on, you know, he's not Paul, but you know, he is C.S. Lewis. Maybe Peter? <laughs> uh, Romans eight thirty-one through 39. Uh, man, you know, I've read this, but the more I read it, the more fired up I get about this passage. Um, Talk about that, man. This morning you had me read Hebrews 10. I almost started crying in the middle. I don't know if you picked up on oh, it. I like, didn't. I was really trying to control it so that I didn't like derail the class. But holy cow, sometimes it just overwhelms you. Yeah. You know, you're like, Christ did this for me. Right. I yeah. mean, it's. I, yeah. I'm starting to tear up right yeah, now yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just so amazing. Yeah. And then we want to fight and say... But I better have a way to get out. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Every time I read that passage about when he comes in the world, I've been given a body. That tears me up because you think of, you know, baby Christ in the manger and that he came for the sole purpose of giving that body as, as a sacrifice for us. So yeah, it's great. Romans eight starts out. Um, I always fear that I'm going to, it does start out. There's no now, there's therefore now no condemnation. All right. And you Romans sometimes eight. look up John Piper, I think says basically you should never just read that. You should always yell that verse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ and Romans eight ends with what can separate us from the love of Christ and he goes through all of these things. Uh, I think says, his point with that list is nothing. Yeah, it is nothing. And it, and he even says, who can bring a charge against the elect? He's not saying that the elect are sinless. He's just saying if God has justified the elect, who's going to argue with that? Who can bring a charge against us? If God has given us his son, and I like how Joel said, like if he's given you the best, why is he? Oh, it was actually Curtis. Uh, so amazingly enough, just an aside, 
I don't know if Curtis, who's our typical worship leader, although we have, he wasn't in there, but um, like two or three Sundays in a row, like he kind of gives a little bit of a message while we're singing, we'll read some verses and kind of shape what we're singing towards. And they've like been in lockstep harmony with my Sunday school lesson. So he's reading Romans eight today. And he says, you know, God, the father has already given us his very best, his son, why wouldn't he give us these lesser things as well? Um, well, and I, we, we haven't really discussed how you understand uh, verses 33 and 34. My take on it is in those two verses, Paul brings out the only people who have standing to bring a legitimate charge, right? Um, there are going to be a lot of people who would try to accuse us. <clears throat> There are going to be a lot of people who would want to condemn us, right? Mm -hmm. But he goes through and says, God is for us. Christ is for us. That's it. Right. (laughs) Like, like no one else can come into that courtroom and go, I've got an objection. You know, God, nope, sorry, I've ruled. It is done. Mm -hmm. And I would say even to the, we can't condemn ourselves. Right. Right. It, It doesn't. It does not matter if we fail. God is a faithful God who will bring his children to and through Mm -hmm. the River Jordan, depending on what song you're singing. But I mean, (laughs) he he will be the one that causes us to persevere to the end. Right. It's not something that we gen up in ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, stiff upper lip. We're going to give it our best Mm -hmm. go and all of that. No, I mean, we are eternally secure because of God. So, yeah. All right. Um, so we already talked about, uh, you, you alluded to first John two nineteen through 20, but, uh, first John is written about, uh, folks presumably who left that congregation. There are some evidences that he's contrasting those who stayed with those who left. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Um, so uh, clearly there are people who, for a time, have the appearance of someone who's a believer. We're not arguing that. And then they may come in and they may have uh, some initial signs, uh, some initial evidences or initial works that you might go, oh, this this person looks like God's got a hold of their lives. And then they just go off the rails. Um, And John is saying that they, when when folks do this, I think he's talking about a particular people, but I think the principle can be expanded to all people who do this that um, it shows that they were never really part of, of the flock. Yeah, well, and I completely agree with that. But I think there's so many other, maybe slightly more nuanced examples in First John, right? Um, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Um, I think there's another one that says, whoever hates his brother hasn't seen God I mean so there there's all of these evidences and several times John says if this is your pattern of life Mm -hmm. you haven't ever known God right it's not 
you've lost it mm-hmm. and you don't know God anymore. I mean, it is, it is always clearly the person that does this is giving evidence that God has never gotten a hold of their life, that they've never known yeah. God, they've never seen God. I mean, all, all of these things. And it's never couched in the idea of, ah, they just, they had a grip, but they lost mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's always just, I, I don't this is a new thought to me that just kind of came, so I'm not yeah. articulating it all that clearly. But, That's good. But every single time you see it, it just it's it's an ontological who we are. Are you a child of God mm-hmm. or are you not a child of God? Right. He says, you know, did you sing the song, Beloved, let us love one another? Yeah. Yeah. He that loveth not knoweth, knoweth not, not God. God. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, well, I'm looking at our clock. I think we're about done time-wise for this episode. There are a couple other positive verses that I would like us to deal with and then maybe we'll deal with some objections in the next episode and we'll we'll call this one a wrap. All right. That's it for this one. So yeah. everyone, if you would think well, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 